the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time on this Monday edition of Lifeline, 5.53 in this segment. Isaiah said it's 750 years before Jesus, and Amos did too. It's a quotation out of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 28, which will be a commentary for me in an assessment as to where we are in our world. Listen to what Isaiah said. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from afar, burning with his anger. And the burden thereof is heavy, and his lips are full of indignation, and his tongue is as a devouring fire. A pretty serious image of God coming in anger, burning. His tongue is as a flaming fire. In other words, his word now is coming to purge the chaff, to destroy the thorns. Now listen to what it says. Here's the method by which God does it. It says, and his breath as an overflowing stream. That means he's going to be moving so powerful like a river that his word, his breath is his spirit, controlling his judgment upon humanity, upon men. In this context, it was the Assyrian nation because of their pride and their rebellion against God. Notice what he says. And he says, and I will come in order to sift, to sift, to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. God says he will sift them with the sift of vanity. You know what a sifter is, right? It's that tool that you use to make fine flour, or to separate, if you will, because this kind of sieve in that day was a, a method by which you could separate, if you will, wheat from chaff. You could separate, um, if you will, uh, the good flour, the good grain from the more coarse grain or, or the, the bad elements that may have gotten into a batch of flour. Sifting is what God said he would do, and he would use a particular kind of sieve. It would be a sieve of vanity. And what that means is he will give the nations over to a vain understanding, to an empty, idolatrous mind of futility. It really is underscoring what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, which is vividly on display today in our world where men and women do not think right. They do not think biblically. They are not good thinkers. They do not have a framework of understanding that gives them a moral check, an ethical break to stop them from behaving in ways that are abominable to God. This is what God meant in Romans 1 when he says, and he shall give them over to a reprobate mind. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. And what you're looking at today are men and women who cannot think. They don't think God's thoughts after him. They don't fear God. They don't know how to reason through arguments. They're all over the map. They are emotional. 
They are unstable. And this is what a postmodern framework of thinking will do when you think that you don't you can create your own reality. You can fabricate your own social constructs. You can take what God has laid out as immutable and unchangeable and put a software over the top of it and deny the reality of who you are in in terms of how God created you. This is where our world is going. And this is what the policies that are taking place coming from the left are doing when they're talking about forcing down your throats. This whole LGBTQAI system that I already told you was the fundamental driver uh, of the Black Lives Matter movement. And everybody sees it for what it is now. It's very clear. And it's in your businesses. It's in your entertainment. It's in politics. I mean, massively and blatantly in politics. And it's also in religion. Every apostate church is going to collapse up under the social justice movement and move away from the preaching of the gospel of the glory of God in Christ and dealing with it as as Misty plainly said, this is sin. Racism is sin and it's in everybody's heart. It's not systemic racism. It's particular sin in the hearts of men and women. And the answer is not some kind of uh, condemning of white folks and reparations and all of this folly that basically intensifies the racism and any Christian that gets caught up in wanting to continue talking about blacks and whites and how whites owe blacks this and and this and that you're far from the gospel far from the gospel you're not thinking right you're trapped by the horizontal dilemma of the pump cart uh, uh, what we call plantation politics narrative all you know is blue and all you know is red and all you know is is Biden all you know is Trump that's your whole conversation you haven't risen above the folly of politics to walk in the transcendent unity and unifying message of the gospel of the grace of God well some of us are going to do that and many of us are already doing that and we're condemning anything that wants to take us back 400 years take us back 300 years take us back 200 years because it's a strong delusion causing men and women to be uh, uh, if you will uh, just destabilize it's causing them to be disrupted it's creating emotional psychological it's creating relational domestic all kinds of problems are coming just like the devil wants and just like the marxist system uh, imposes wherever it's used whether it's in germany whether it's in uh, russia whether it's in france wherever it's it's used, it destroys, whether it's in Cuba, whether it's in Africa, doesn't matter where it is, it creates oppression and bondage, and it distorts your capacity to see God in the person of Christ. It has no liberating factors whatsoever. It does not understand the superficiality of the idea of race. It takes a dumb thing and blows it up and makes it the most important thing, and it causes men and women to be vain. God is sifting the nation with the sieve of vanity. And this is why they can go out and do all of this crazy protesting and destroying a property and just emotional, just, if you will, just, just outbursts everywhere irrationally. Now, what they need to be doing is sitting down and talking with very prudent men and women about what kind of policies we need to be implementing in order to bless our nation with a way forward, because our politicians have utterly and totally let us down. There's no doubt about that. 
But the idea of just walking around with superficial token signs that don't even actually correspond with reality, Black Lives Matter, that's a bunch of crap. Everybody knows now that they really don't believe that. Everybody knows that, that it's simply a slogan that has an emotional pull on it in order for them to bring in their systemic racism argument, which itself is a fallacy, and then a methodology to start controlling and cajoling men and women and even big businesses into collapsing up under this immoral platform of identity politics. Open your eyes unless you're bound by a strong delusion. Let me go to line number two and talk with Dan and Sonoma. Dan, are you there? If you will endure me mentioning anything to you, uh, uh, since March 1st, I have downloaded about 70 of your Bible studies and sermons to try to catch up with you, and you're a hard worker there. Yeah. uh, But I noticed something. What's that? And that is, I was... My friend was having me read about Woody Guthrie the other day, and I noticed yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, almost a direct line down to this Marxism movement today about yeah. Woody Guthrie and his devotees and uh, downline. And I'm also noticing, I, uh, I'm ready to respond if people tell me that Woody Guthrie wrote a song about Jesus Christ. He wrote a joke. I mean, he That's did not he like did. Jesus Christ. He didn't right. like Jesus Christ. He wrote a song deriding and making fun of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. what the image was that people think uh, Jesus is today. And, sure. Uh, he didn't like the song, I Don't Have a Home in This World Anymore, so he wrote an answer song to it. He didn't like uh, people being content with their life. God in life. Them. He didn't like that whole idea. Right. He had the same tenets that Marx did. This foolish German actually a Jew who became a Catholic and then became an atheist with the same kind of narcissistic, pessimistic idea. His mama told him, you need to get a job and take care of your kids. You're talking about how to run a nation. You can't even get a job and take care of your kids. He was a defunct college student for many, many years and and, and pathologically uh, irresponsible, Marx was. And yet here we are peddling his foolishness as some kind of wisdom over against what we have done as a nation for the last 250 years. And people are buying this crock of delusional utopian uh, 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 hope, and it has absolutely no basis in reality. But that's exactly what God is saying in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 28. I will sip them with the sieve of vanity, and I will cause them to err. So we are erring. We are departing from the truth. We are departing from the light. We are falling prey to humanism. We are falling prey to what we've been already saying. You know I've been saying this for a while. This is nothing but reverse racism that's creating conflicts, vulcanizing people, separating people, creating conflicts within their own communities. It's designed to destroy any kind of cohesion and designed to destroy any kind of self-sufficiency, self-determination. It's designed to destroy freedom and prosperity so that we can move forward. And there are a lot of people who are upset and angry and mad at the world because it's not going their way. These are the children of Marx. And a lot of these are the college students who have been brainwashed by this whole agenda and are out in the streets trying to advocate for tearing down America and moving into that kind of utopian hell. But they're just blind, blind as a bat. 
Now, the goal is for all of us to be informed biblically and in uh, in terms of all of the important and salient secular documents and be ready to wage war against them. Now, I'm going to give you the last word before I take a break. What's your thoughts, Daniel? I just want to say thank you and God bless you. May your ministry increase and prosper. And may you just uh, hang on to the Word of God and believe the Word of God, and it will enrich your life and, uh, and live by it practically and uh, may the Holy Spirit dwell upon you. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, my brother. That's true for you and everyone else. I'm going to say this before I, I take a break. We come back, we'll be able to pick up with Nelson. I've got three lines open. one 367 5329 I've got three lines open. one 367 5329 Of course, Dan had a whole lot more to say because he's starting to dig in, dig deep, and do the research. Lazy people will perish. Lazy people will perish. When the Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show yourself approved, it doesn't mean academic study in the disciplines of the theological uh, uh, truths of the word of God. It meant to make your calling and election sure. It meant for you to be serious about God to the point of making sure when you stand before him, he accepts you. That's what that text is saying. It's saying due diligence to make sure when you ultimately stand before the judge whom we cannot hoodwink, we cannot manipulate, we cannot, if you will, will divert or distract or distort his thinking. He sees everything clearly and we've got to face him one day. The devil is so absolutely inept in his utter and total condemnation that he continues to deceive the whole world into thinking there is no God, nor is there a devil. And so this is why you have the mad insanity that you do presently in our world. The reality is, ladies and gentlemen, there is a God, there is a devil, there is a heaven, and there is a hell. And there's only one way of escaping that hell. And that's through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has communicated to you faithfully in the preaching of the gospel. No other way can you get to the Father but through the Son. And you're going to have to bow the knee to what God has always used, and that is the preaching of the gospel by the word of God, by faithful men who set forth the truth as it is in Christ. If you do not submit to the narrow way of faith in Jesus Christ, believing who he is and what he did, who he did it for and why he did it, you will perish in your sins. Even if the whole world loves you and agrees with you on all of the madness in this spirit of error that's dominating our world, you're still going to have to face God. And when you face God, you're going to face him naked and all by yourself. You can get the whole world to agree with you. You can kill every Christian on the planet. You can silence every prophetic voice you want to. It's going to rise up again on the last day as a witness against you, decreeing very plainly, Lord God Almighty, who wast and art and art to come. The men and women standing before you heard the message by your faithful witnesses, and they chose another way. They chose another path. They said, cause the Holy One to cease from us. Get out of the way. Get out of the path. Quit preaching the word of God. Quit preaching the gospel. Quit telling us about Christ. And I'll tell you that Antichrist system is alive and well in our country. 
And until men and women receive once again the anointing of a spirit of God that will allow for the kind of suffering necessary to produce in our nation a revival, a real revival, a real revival, this empty, vacuous, vain talk about politics is nothing but a distraction while men die by the hundreds of thousands every day and perish in an eternal hell. Misty got it right. We're being distracted from the real mission of preaching and teaching the word of the living God and the person of Christ who is the only way of escape. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I got to take a break. I've got two lines open. I think three. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We're going to take a break, pay some bills, and then we'll come back with Nelson on line number one. We will be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back. The time is six seventeen on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've got three lines open, one 888 Love to hear from you on this topic or any other topic relevant to where we are today in our struggles. Be glad to hear from you, one 888 The National Museum for African American History and Culture has removed its controversial chart on whiteness from one of its web pages telling people on Thursday that it didn't contribute to a quote productive conversation about racial issues i would say not since yesterday they go on certain content in the talking about race see they want to talk about race they don't want to put it behind us they want to talk about it and the talking about race portal has been the subject of questions that we have taken seriously We have listened to the public sentiment and have removed a chart that does not contribute to the productive discussion we had intended. Of course it didn't because you are blinded by your own set of assumptions that are not valid and people don't agree with you. The museum said in a statement, Fox News reported yesterday that some described the chart as racist since it categorized things like decision making and delayed gratification as part of whiteness. How ludicrous is that statement? Decision-making and delayed gratification as whiteness. The museum's graphic broke the aspect and assumptions of whiteness into categories such as rugged individualism and history. For example, under future orientation, the graphic listed delayed gratification and planning for the future as ideas spread by white culture. Now, quite frankly, and I'm done with the article here for a moment so I can go to the phone lines, but quite frankly, if you were to read the article, ladies and gentlemen, you would be appalled and offended by what they called whiteness. You would know that they are insulting your intelligence because if they were to just think for a moment about using the term racist, and would apply the principle of opposition to that term for themselves and ask the question, okay, we are asserting that only racist, white racist people think like this. But let's see if this would apply to other cultures, other races, other ethnic groups. 
And if you discover that it would apply to other cultures, other ethnic groups and other people, then you know that your argument is fallacious. But they are so hell bent, blinded by their goal of propagandizing the whole world that they put it out there anyway. And they got so much pushback by the average citizens. I mean, Asians and uh, Indians and African-Americans and even Caucasians and the whole spectrum of our beautiful multi-ethnic nation were indignated by the assertion that hard work and individualism and and delayed gratification and a desire for autonomy and to own your own businesses and to 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 fulfill your own dreams by being responsible and delaying gratification until you accomplish goals is called whiteness. How absurd. But this is what happens when you think reality is simply the social construction of your own relative relativistic subjective product of thinking that you can take a system that you have formulated created laid out in a set of dogmas and impose it upon people and expect people not to push back you are utterly deluded and this whole thing is a delusion absolute delusion i'm going to share something with you on the other side of our break from uh, uh, uh economist dr walter williams on why a lot of the allegations and assertions of Amer uh, 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 against americans in terms of uh, whites being the real cause of any kind of um uh, if you will, holding back of African-Americans is just not statistically and factually true. They get it right. These these sharp intellectuals are able to carve through the rhetoric and folly of this anti-racist system and demonstrate how wrong they are. And this is the kind of thinking you got to have, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to be a Christian in this dark world that's filled with lies, you're going to have to think your way through this. You have to think. You're going to have to think your way through this because of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage to. Do you want to be a slave of a Marxist system of totalitarian control? In other words, watch this before I go to the line. If, in fact, as this article stated, that delayed gratification, hard work, meritocracy, being responsible, getting to work on time, paying your bills, respecting authority, because this is what's in the list. I want you to get this because I'm going to show you what the opposite would look like. Respecting authority is whiteness. OK, so let's not be white and therefore disrespect authority, not submit to government, not submit to righteousness, not submit to our parents, not submit to our husband, not submit, submit to our authorities. Because we don't want to be white. We want to be black. We want to be non-white. That means to be black. So we're not going to obey governments. We're not going to obey laws. We're not going to follow the precepts that are that are just and proper in our society. Hard work ethic. I don't want to be white. So let's not hold to the hard work ethic. Let's just be lazy and indigent and let the government pay our bills. Let the government give us housing. Let the government give us welfare. Let the government pay our medical bills because we don't want to be white. All right, we're not gonna we're not gonna actually desire to own a home. We're not gonna actually desire to run a business. We're not gonna actually desire to be respectful to our neighbors and to walk in a a manner that actually knows how to actually demonstrate freedom with virtue. Nope, that's for white people. 
So we're not going to walk in freedom. We're not going to walk in virtue. We're not going to walk in confidence. We're not going to obey laws. We're not going to study hard. We're not going to get degrees. We're not going to actually be productive in our world because that's whiteness. You see what you get if you abandon this so-called whiteness? You get nothing but indigent people who are undisciplined and uninformed and unmotivated and pathologically committed to a welfare system, which is nothing but Marxism. This is what you're going to get with what will happen in the next four years if Trump doesn't stay in and God doesn't bless us to come up out of this COVID and get back on the right track economically. This is what this is what they are trying to do. They're trying to give you this agenda where you don't have to believe that you have to do anything to contribute, to participate, to give, to serve. This is what you're going to get. This is exactly what you're going to get. Let me talk to Nelson on line number one. Nelson, are you there? Yeah, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What's your point, sir? Yeah, that's the most extreme, stupid, ignorant thing I ever heard. But, um, you know, it's so funny. Um, I was talking to my account manager before when I got off at 4 p.m. today. And I, w- I was talking about... Um, this Nelson, you got a job? <laughs> I got a job. Um, and you yeah, have an accountant? Account manager. An account manager? Yeah, yeah. I do mean, you know you are privileged uh, and you are walking in whiteness? Well, I mean, <laughs> I listen okay. to a lot of progressive people <laughs> on YouTube channels and I've never heard anything that extreme. But anyways. Um, oh, no, progressives uh, are, I don't even think these are progressive. Well, they might be progressives. I know some very intelligent progressives. I'm, I don't know what you're. I don't know which which ones you listen to, but there are some very intelligent. The majority I don't know. Or, I don't know if we would call it conservative progressives, but they're smart. They wouldn't buy into this foolishness, right? But I, I was telling my account manager that, um, yeah, how would a, he? He's white. I said, how would a, you know? How would a white kid feel in a class? You know, eighteen years old. He's hearing everything is a white male's problem. Right. You know. And then, you know, I also want to say I I did go to the rally here in Redwood City for the young lady, Vanessa Gillian, who was killed around Fort Hood. Right. And, um, yeah, and a lot of the rhetoric, yeah, it it is, you're right, it is very leftist, there's no crisis. And there's one Filipino lady, young lady, who said, thank you, Jesus. And it, it was like, it was so... The crowd was so numb to that, like you shouldn't have said that. Exactly. Before the rally, two hours before the rally, while they were setting up, just through my phone, I was playing Christian music like Jackie Velasquez, um, Uluga, you know, a heavenly place, and Fernando Ortega. I was in, in, you know, real nice Christian music like that. And it it, it really, that really is not what people want to hear. They really do want. like you say, a godless state, a godless way of dealing with with John Lewis, who passed away. You know, mm-hmm. he used to. He always gives a story how he preached to the chickens growing up on his um, um, on their farm or their house. In um, at least in that era, you had people who were adhering to um, 
a Judeo-Christian um, mentality to a to a large extent still until like people like Stokey Carmichael came around, and then he took over SNCC and booted John Lewis out. And you um, do know that he was Marxist. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure that we lay down the substratums to this uh, to this dialogue. This is called subversion. I, I, you know, I know you know, but I, I'm just putting it out for our audience when you talk about Stokey Carmichael, because a lot of people don't know the history. What we're dealing with is a biblical worldview that is rooted in a Judeo-Christian framework that allows for diversity in the context of virtue and freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. The system that they are trying to implement now has none of that as its foundational objective because they reject biblical truth and they reject God. It is a godless system and therefore it's going to be oppressive and it's going to be uh, fascist in nature. If you had hung around long enough at that at that rally, it may have been a little bit more vocal like you can be. You probably would have discovered the beast rising up out of them and wanting to take a chunk out of your flesh because your your framework is incompatible with that system. This is why I'm saying to black people, particularly if you profess to be a believer in Christ, you got to wake up and come out of that. There is no crossover. There are no compatibility factors for a Christian in that system. It might work on a race level, but it's not It's not going to even work then. I don't even want to go down that path. It's not designed for real harmony, even at ethnic levels. You can't expect for people to hear that you condemn all day long everything white and expect for this country to actually walk around in unity over uh, ethnic or racial issues. It's not possible for that uh, to occur. It's not possible. But go ahead, I'll finish your point before I take a break. Okay, I, I would just say, I guess my question is, you know, Craig Roberts mentioned it too, and, and, and I'm sorry to hear that, um, that, that black preacher on KFAX who comes on on um, Saturday, his friend was the black federal officer who was gunned down in Oakland and, you know, about the Santa Cruz officer. And, yeah. you know, the, the reason why I, I'm talking about, I'm not trying to bring a red-blue thing. I'm talking about righteousness. There, there's unrighteousness in different um, ways, different fears come from different directions. And um, that was a right-wing boogaloo group. That was a right-wing group who gunned those, who assassinated those two cops. And then last night, that guy was an anti-feminist who went in that judge's house, that federal judge's house in New Jersey. And, of course, I brought up, you know, Timothy McVeigh. This, this, how do you deal? And, and Craig, Roberts, Craig Roberts also brought up that, um, um, you know, all the white people who have been calling the police on black people, you see these three to more videos a day, I mean, calling the police, even on police officers' families, because the eight-year-olds riding a bike a certain way, and they didn't call on the white kids, but they called on the police officer's kid who's black. I mean, black people are real angry at that. And for We need to hear the more than just to say, if you're angry about it, you might be a communist. I know you're not that simplistic, but I mean, I don't, this has happened to me twice. I don't know what I'm going to do the next time a white person tries to police me and control me in public. I mean, you know, I was in the Marine Corps. If I'm not fasting and praying that day, they, they might, I might take my belt off and 
give him a good whooping. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Now, I agree with that. Um, uh, what we're going to have to do, and I, the, the statement that you're making now is going to merit more discussion, and I hope to actually start talking about that because I'm, I'm, I'm right now affiliating myself with some very good intellectuals who are talking about how to deal with this going forward, not so much as being trapped in the black-white narrative or the blue-red narrative where we are now, but going forward, how do we actually do a better job of, um, of reining in the extremes? Because what we're dealing with, uh, Nelson, whether you know it or not, is the extremes on both sides are now fomenting because of a lack of clarity in what I, what we would call the moderate middle, the rational moderate middle. And I'm not talking about uh, a political party. I'm talking about how we think. <clears throat> Whenever you go on an arc too far to either extreme, whether it's extreme white supremacist racism or extreme leftist antifada foolishness, which takes on the same kind of militant agenda as took place in the 60s. You know that uh, whether underground in many different groups T to go into the extreme on either side is to lose sight of the real centrist issues that actually govern a country. And whenever the centrist middle does not operate civilly and righteously, it makes room because of a vacuum of, of what we might call righteous uh, uh, policies that keeps the whole of the country going forward, progressing and developing. Whenever we lose that center, and this again is a lengthy conversation about the vacuousness of both left and right. As I did that series, you you know about it. I talk about the loud, the impotency of the loud left and the impotency of the loud right. These are Friday night Bible studies. They lasted two or three hours. Several hundreds of people watched. I mean, eight, nine hundred people watch. You can watch it if you want to at grace-bible.com. And I talk about the emptiness in both parties. And when you really think it through, um, uh, Nelson, what's been happening for decades now is a lack of substantial dialogue by our politicians and our media as to what really we need to be doing to solve all these problems across the board. We do not have quality officials. Officials, Our officials on both sides are Manchurian candidates that don't have substantive and, and viable solutions to the problems that we have. And this is why we are on the fringes about to break. That's what's going on presently. And we've got to have conversations that, that don't polarize into left-right narratives that are nothing but propagandi propagandized pieces for their own groups. That doesn't work. It doesn't work to listen to Fox News. It doesn't work to listen to CNN as well or MSNBC or any of the outlets that keep pumping the same dialectical hostilities towards one another because it does not give us viable answers. And the answers are out there. There's a way to have a conversation with a Caucasian brother that really does not understand an African-American brother without that African-American brother taking this bogus systemic racism thing, plopping it on that brother's head and telling him, you can't understand anything about me. That's completely unconstructive and it's completely destructive of any uh, way forward of unity and of harmony and of understanding. But in order for us to have this, Nelson, 
men and women are going to have to humble themselves and recognize that our fundamental problem <laughs> is sin. Our fundamental problem is sin. So even though you have your frustrations with, you know, these anecdotal events of white people doing what they do, we know they we have people doing that. We know that. And we also know we got a bunch of bad acting African-Americans, bad acting African-Americans. So don't tell me, I'm not saying you, I'm saying in general, don't tell me that the African-American community does not need correcting, admonishing, rebuking, and then guidance. It does. Its fundamental problems are within itself. This is not about the white man holding them back. Yes, we need to be able to talk to our Caucasian community and let them know that they have to do a better job of interpreting the freedom of black people if we want to get along or else we're going to all be trapped by this false narrative. And we're going to be we're going to be hostile towards one another. You're using a euphemism when you're talking about pulling off your belt. But that is a frustration, too. Ain't no doubt about that. No, that's a frustration, too. So I'm going to give you the last point before I close. No, that, that's um, that, that's good. I, I, I guess I do believe we can de- agree to disagree, but I do agree Trump is a fascist too. But I think both sides are fascist. What I mean, the Marine Corps. I would agree. Hold on, I would out. agree with that. I'd agree with that. You make you make you've been making the false assumption that Trump is my man, but that's because you haven't been listening to me. Okay, that's because you haven't been listening to me. I'm not on the pump cart plantation i'm not i'm not going to be voting the red the blue my master is better than your master i've been out of that for many many years what i have accepted like for instance if joe biden gets in i'm going to pray for him and i'm going to hope that you know he doesn't because he's already talked about his policies i know you heard him i I just we can do this next week we can if you want to talk about his policies next week him and bernie sanders and everything they want to give away and how they want to open the borders we can talk about that in the very question that i'm going to ask you if you want to deal with it who's going to pay for it and this is the way forward for a nation to be free and prosperous we can talk about that but what we must admit And this is why the Bible says, give praise to whom praise is due and honor to whom honor is due. If you look at the policies of Mr. Trump concerning America, I I have never, ever advocated his person. I just I just don't do that. He was not my man for me, but he's been in office and he's done a lot of things that can be clearly laid out as being to the advantage of both black people and Christians. And this here is in jeopardy coming up in this next election. But we'll get a chance to talk about that. I am absolutely positive if the Lord lets us live that long and we get closer to November and he keeps you healthy, Nelson, and me healthy, we'll be able to talk about that. Thanks for the call. I got to take a heartbreak. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And I, the time is 647 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I have a couple of lines open if you want to call in. Uh, we might be able to talk for a few minutes if you want to kind of just do a, a final uh, contribution. one 329 one if you uh, want to, again, uh, join us uh, on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Tomorrow is going to be a prayer service at 7.30, but at 6.30, we will be having our Tuesday night Bible study. And you don't have to come out if you don't want to, particularly if you are interested in what I'm talking about, because I'm, I'm definitely developing a, 
a uh, fairly direct line of correlation between the uh, text of the book of the Revelation, the Apocalypse, and where we are now making application to the struggle that believers are having in this present world. And you can join us at 630 on our uh, live stream at grace-bible.com. Um, and then you can join us in our live stream prayer service. We get to pray for our nation, our leaders, and uh, and uh, uh, a litany of problems that we face every day as believers on Tuesday. Wednesday, we pick up our Bible study again at 6.30, live stream at grace-bible.com, and you can join us there if you want to. I'm in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ for the rest of the year um, if I can handle that, if uh, the Lord leads us into healthy, vital, vibrant, uh, if you will, application of the gospel, um, according to that book, um, very, very apropos in so many areas. We're in the 11th chapter dealing with the two witnesses, and we're about to turn into the 12th and 13th chapters. Those chapters we will be laying out the basic framework of eschatology as is commonly understood in our world today, the four views, along with my understanding of what uh, chapter 12, 13, all the way through chapters 17 and 18, dealing with uh, the, uh, the beast that rises up out of the sea and out of the land in Revelation 13, who has its historical uh, prophetic origin in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, and then Daniel chapter 11, uh, the beast with seven heads, ten horns, and and uh, seven crowns, if you will. Uh, ten horns, yep, ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns, this uh, historic beast that has its origins in Rome, but makes its final application in the culture in which you and I live, and how the church has to deal with the repeated historical development of apostasy in the church becoming collaborative with the state. This is what Revelation chapter 13 is dealing with, an apostate church that's generally viewed as the false prophet. And then the beast is the political systems that rise up in opposition to a Christian or a biblical worldview, which is where you and I are in our present uh, present time in America. We are moving towards an open, hostile, direct, direct attack on the word of God and the gospel. And it doesn't help that Christians are ignorant of both history and uh, and of how the enemy works. It doesn't help that Christians do not know the difference between a biblical worldview and a satanic postmodern framework that is man-centered in its nature and Marxist in its framework and, again, totalitarian and fascist in its methodology and collapse into it under the superficial notions of a pseudo-racist ideology. Racism is a myth. There's no such thing as racism. Uh, sound intellectuals know this, geneticists, biologists, physicists, scientists know that this is a fabricated uh, concept employed to keep the ethnoses divided. And when you collapse into it as a Christian, you are buying into the power dynamic of language that has no basis in reality, and you can't win that. But I'm going to close out our program with one very erudite sage in our world, his name is Walter Williams. He's an economist. He wrote this on the 26th of June this year. 
listen to it. He also wrote what is also called, uh, and I love this, it's called The Proclamation of Amnesty and Pardon. I'm going to read that too if I have time. He says, and I quote, many whites are ashamed, saddened, and feel guilty about our history of slavery. Jim Crow. And, uh, and, and gross racial discrimination. Many black people remain angry over the injustices of the past and what they see as injustices of the present. Both blacks and whites can benefit from a better appreciation of black history. Hence, he says, often overlooked or ignored is the fact that as a group, black Americans have made the greatest gains over some of the highest hurdles and in a shorter span of time than any other racial group in history. You can check him out on those facts. For example, if one totaled up the earnings and spendings of black Americans and considered us as a separate nation with our own gross domestic product, PDG, we would rank well within the top 20 richest nations. You wouldn't know that based upon the grievances today by the so-called race baiters. A black American, uh, General Colin Powell, once headed the world's mightiest military. Black Americans are amongst the world's most famous personalities, and a few black Americans are among the world's richest people, such as investor Robert F. F. Smith, IT service provider David Stewart, Oprah Winfrey, and basketball star Michael Jordan. Plus, there was a black U.S. president, if you don't Remember that is what he says. Now, listen, he says the significance of these achievements cannot be overstated. When the Civil War ended, neither a slave nor a slave owner would have believed such progress would be possible in less than a century and a half, if ever. As such, it speaks to the intestinal fortitude of a people just as important. It speaks to the greatness of a nation in which such gains were possible. Notice how he put it. The fortitude of a people and the greatness of a nation. What nation is he talking about? My nation, America. What people is he talking about? Black people or African Americans who are willing to work hard for what they have. Just as important, it speaks to the greatness of a nation with which such gains were possible. Nowhere else on earth could such progress have been achieved except in the United States of America. The issue that confronts us is how these gains can be extended to about one quarter of the black population for whom they have proven elusive. He knows this issue among one quarter of the African-Americans. He says the first step is to acknowledge that the civil rights struggle is over and won. At one time, black Americans did not enjoy the constitutional guarantees as everyone else. Now we do. While no one can deny the existence of residual racial discrimination, and we do not, racial discrimination is not the major problem confronting a large segment of the black community. A major problem is that some public and private policies reward dependency and irresponsibility. Chief among these policies is the welfare state that has fostered a 75% rate of -of out-of-wedlock births and decimated the black family that has survived Jim Crow and racism. He goes on to say, 
Keep in mind that in the 1940s, black illegitimacy rate was 11 percent, and most black children were raised in two-parent families. Most poverty at about 25 percent is found in female-headed households, that is, single female households. The poverty rate among husband and wife black families has been in the single digits for more than two decades. In other words, when you do the heterosexual marriage thing, unlike Black Lives Matter, God blesses it. Black people can be thankful that double standards in public and private policies rewarding inferiority and irresponsibility were not a part of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. If there were then there would not have been the kind of intellectual excellence and spiritual courage that created the world's most successful civil rights movement. From the 1800s to the 1950s, some black schools were models of academic achievement. Black students at Washington Dunbar High School often outscored white students as early as 1899. Schools such as Frederick Douglass, Baltimore, Booker T. Washington, Atlanta, P.S., in Brooklyn, McDonough, 35, in New Orleans, and others operated at a similar level of excellence. Self-destructive behavior that has become acceptable, particularly that in predominantly black schools, is nothing less than a gross betrayal of a struggle paid with blood, sweat, and tears by previous generations to make possible today's educational opportunities that are being routinely squandered. I guarantee that blacks who lived through that struggle and are no longer with us would not have believed such a betrayal possible. And you can hear him. He's not blaming it on white people. Government should do its job of protecting constitutional rights. After that, black people should be simply left alone as opposed to being smothered by the paternalism inspired by white guilt. On that note, he says, I just cannot resist the temptation to refer readers to my proclamation of amnesty and pardon available on his website. And we can read that at another time because I've come to the end of my time and I'm honored to be part of this program on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm glad I'm living in a free country because I can tell the truth as I see it. You have your opinion. I have mine. Let us both keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And it will ferret itself out in time. Until then, God bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.